Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh, clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Uh, today, we got a guest on who I'm pretty excited about. Uh, met this feller back in mid-January on a hunting trip and just really hit it off, had a good time uh, in deer camp, and I thought it'd just be fun to get you on, Mr. Richard Mannery. Richard, how are you doing? Man, I am doing well. I appreciate the, the invitation. Yeah, glad to have you here. Thank Jacob, you. how are you doing over there? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Not as good as Richard. You know, Richard, you know, killing some absolute giant deer. So we're going to talk about that at some point in this episode, talking about, you know, hunting out of state, some public land, and also just, Richard, your whole background. But super excited to have you on, Richard. Um, we, we, you got to kind of kick this off about how we kind of met you, okay? Um, so me and Andrew, uh, well, I say Andrew, not me and Andrew. Andrew drew an SOA hunt, special opportunity area mm-hmm. hunt in Alabama on a very coveted piece of public land. Uh, are we going to name that in this episode? No, no. We'll just say it's, it was in Dallas County. Okay. It's in the Black Belt. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah uh, people can figure it out for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it was uh, one a, of two. A very coveted piece of public land in the state. And the funny thing is, Richard, when we met you, come to find out you had a lot of history with a, a lot of that a lot of that land back when Mossy Oak had it. I did. Um, and uh, anyways, this hit it off with you in camp. It was kind of cool. Again, we're staying with uh, with Tommy, and you were there with us, and it was it was a great time. But I, I want to kind of get into a little bit of your back- background for listeners to kind of get an idea. First off, what is your background when it comes to hunting Alabama, and also how do you kind of how did you kind of get connected with Mossy Oak back when Mossy Oak owned these properties? Right, right. Um, in in nineteen ninety five. I joined a hunting club in Pine Hill, Alabama, which is just to the west of of, uh, Camden. And uh, a guy by the name of Daryl Daig, who had actually graduated uh, with a marketing degree from Mississippi State, he lived in Birmingham, and he was the president of that club. And so I hunted with with him for a couple of years. We managed, and then he connected with a friend of his, which graduated from Mississippi State as well, by the name of Toxie Hayes, and we all know who he is. Yep. Yeah, of uh, of Mossy Oak, and it ended up where Daryl went to work with Mossy Oak, and two years after, I guess it was '97, uh, I started hunting in uh, a place called Lee Haven, which is in South Sumter County, just below uh, Livingston, and uh, so uh, being good friends with Daryl. Uh, and and just being able to, to hunt with him and, and and see him coming out with all of these new camouflage patterns and and coming out with biologic um, it, you know it's it, it opened me up to a whole new aspect of deer management um, and hunting and and really that's where I guess I, I became a much better hunter is hunting with mossy oak Absolutely. I guess we got to kind of kick off a, a little bit more about yourself. Uh, so one thing interesting about you, you're a diehard bow hunter, very passionate bow hunter. I am. You like to travel around and bow hunt a bunch of different states. And, um, you know, one thing that's kind of interesting is 
a lot of the guys that we interview in the podcast, there are some that are diehard bow hunters, but most of those guys don't live in the deep south specifically. A lot of them kind of come from those midwestern states or stuff like that. Every now and then you'll get a guy in the southeast that's, you know, it's bow or it's bow or nothing, or as the guys from Bowhunter die would say, bow hunter die. You know, we're not, we're not, you know, not necessarily you know hunting a bunch with firearms. And it's kind of interesting when I meet a guy like yourself, Richard. He was again extremely passionate about bow hunting. How did that come about for you? How did you? When did like bow hunting become such a passion of yours? That's something that you are just like, I mean, live and breathe. You know, bow hunting and what all comes with bow hunting and getting close to your whitetails. Right. You know, and and I have to attribute that again to to Daryl Dag and in Mossy Oak because. At that point in time, that was, you know, Mossy Oak was really, you know, you had Mossy Oak, you had Realtree, and both of them were filming a lot. And then you had um, Mossy Oak came out with, you know, with Biologic, and, um, and they hunted with bows all the time. It was a, a you know, it, they had rather hunt with bows than guns. They certainly had rather film bow hunting mm-hmm. uh and who's the other guy that uh uh don't hunt them where they are hunting where they want to be will say his name primos? Will oh, over will primos. will primos yeah so he was part of that as as well and mm-hmm. so that's where i was introduced to bow hunting and absolutely fell in love with it you know i, ju- I just love the intimacy of, of bow hunting uh and and of course hunting with with mossy oak we managed, they managed. So my opportunity to shoot a really good mature buck was pretty high. Mm-hmm. So I was exposed to a lot of good mature bucks in, in you know, in a, in a deer herd that had, you know, the, the quality of bucks that were out there was just really incredible, more than I had ever experienced anywhere else in my hunting. So I just fell in love with bow hunting and uh, I love the intimacy of it. And, um, you know, it, it, it. I don't like to get in in a uh, a shooting house. It, 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 I just don't like to. I'd much rather be out in the woods. Were you a, in a, a tree? A really big gun hunter before that? I was. Yeah, yeah. But, but prior to nineteen ninety five, I was a big boat, uh, big gun hunter, and uh, you know, and and I didn't manage. You know, I shot anything, anything with antlers. You know, was happy about it. And it wasn't until 1994 when I was introduced to the Quality Deer Management Association about managing your deer herd. And then, of course, when I went over and, and started hunting with Mossy Oak, it was more of that. And uh, I got to meet uh, Dr. Grant Woods, uh, who is Growing Deer TV, mm-hmm. if you've seen that. And so I hung on every word he had to say. Got to spend a lot of time with him when I was hunting with my buddy Daryl Dague over at, at, uh, at Mossy Oak at first in um, in Sumter County. And then they leased another piece of property, which what mm-hmm. is going to remain nameless. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can guess what it is. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, bow hunting that land was unbelievable. Had it been gun hunting, you know, it, it, I would have several, you know, mid-130s and, and, and certainly, you know, some mid-140s, you know, on my wall. So, but I just fell in love because Daryl loved bow hunting, and I fell in love with it. And even today, during the rut, I will still hunt with a bow. I've got to ask you this, especially, like, being around the, that kind of type of guys that had, like, the passion for the management side, but also just trying to find and kill big bucks, specifically with their bows. 
what was some of the early takeaways you learned from some of these guys when it came from like the overall management strategy and actually seeing that management strategy work on some of these properties that you had access to be able to go hunt with these guys? Right. You, you need to be able to let three-and-a-half-year-old bucks walk. You need to have – you need to understand that it is as, as much fun to go out and see good bucks, three-and-a-half-year-old bucks – it is a successful hunt. You don't have to shoot a deer to have a successful hunt. And I kind of always placed, you know, I've, I've got to shoot something for, for it to be fun, you know, so mm-hmm. to speak. I mean, you've got to shoot something. Hunting with them, hunting with mossy oak, and, and hunting in land that you see a lot of, you know, a lot of three-and-a-half-year-olds, and we were bow hunting. So I, I got to see a lot of four-and-a-half-year-olds as well, but they just weren't in bow range. But um, it, it, it just became hunting managed land and the amount of bucks that you see and Andrew I mean both you and Jacob know you you look at the land that, that y'all hunted down there and how many bucks that you saw and that's well managed land and man how much fun would you I mean you would have had a great time even if you did not pull the trigger oh yeah definitely and so that's what you got to understand is hey you don't have to shoot a buck to have a great hunt yeah, if, and, if yeah. I see bucks, I'm happy. And I got to pull the trigger a whole bunch of times. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what. Right now, um, I'm reading through uh, Michael Perry's book uh, that he recently mm-hmm. wrote, Absolutely. and uh, we've had Michael Perry on a bunch of times. But he's the one that shot that 200 inch deer on public land a couple years back. He uh, he oh. has a big section in that what. Oh, he might be a little upset that you said 200. It's 196 to be exact. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> Michael. I'm sorry, man. Just round up. This state record muzzleloader buck. But keep going. Yeah, yeah. State record muzzleloader buck. Hey, I, so, I call it 202. <laughs> hey, man. Look, I'm rounding up. He uh, he has a big section in that book uh, at the part that I'm reading right now where he's talking about um, a, a particular buck that he shot back in the 90s that he is a four and a half year old buck and he watched it for like 20 minutes before he was able to shoot it. But he learned so much from that buck and how that buck moved through the woods and how that buck acted in comparison to the four spikes he'd seen that morning or whatever. And that kind of reminds me of what you're talking about right there, uh, where you're, you're, when you're forcing yourself to bow hunt, you're almost forcing yourself into a position where you have to observe these animals more and, and watch them and not just shoot it right off the bat. And, you know, maybe that, that four and a half year olds out there at a hundred yards and you can't shoot him right off the bat. So you're watching him for however long he's in front of you and kind of studying what he's doing. I'm, w- would you say that's been a thing that, that has like helped you progress over the years? Absolutely. I mean, you, you realize they are absolute walking radars. I mean, they really are. And, and I know it's, it's proven that their eyes can pick up movement better than humans. I mean, it, it, they, they just can. And I, I don't know how they prove that, but uh, their eyes can pick up movement much, much quicker than human eyes can pick up movement. And so, you know, as they walk through the woods, their ears are, are going in all different directions. And, you know, they're, they're smelling and they're looking. And a lot of times they, they just walk slowly and, and look. I mean, you, you wonder how you would ever kill a, a buck if, if he's out there any distance and he's coming your way. At some point, you know, you may scratch your nose and boom, <laughs> that's all it takes. He catches movement, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the hunt's over. Yeah, kind of like we were so. talking about earlier with uh, with hunting clubs, like the guys in the shooting houses, 
you said you had a buddy who was sitting in a shooting house and, and killed a mature buck that had come to the edge of the food plot just on the site, on, on the very edge of where your buddy could see him, and, and he stood there for, like, forever. Staring at the shooting house. Just That's staring right. at it. Yeah, staring at it. But but And he's a great hunter, and he understands that. Mm-hmm. So as he's sitting there, he, he, know, he doesn't move. He really doesn't. He's a great hunter. He doesn't hunt shooting houses that much. Uh, talking about Steve Cavan, but down south Alabama. But uh, yeah, this this buck came to the edge of a food plot and and walked. I mean, very slowly, and he he just actually just appeared, and he just stared at the shooting house. Steve said it was for several minutes, and that buck did not move. You know, so you swat a mosquito, you readjust your hat, the hunt's over. Mm-hmm. You know, and that buck's going to move back, and 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 he's also educated. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and you wonder how many times that buck had used that successfully. Yeah. Coming out, seeing somebody that shooting house that was fidgeting on their phone or doing whatever, you yeah. know, swatting mosquito, and then slip back in the woods, and those people never saw him, or maybe they just, they saw him didn't get opportunity because he was already easing back into the woods because he saw that yeah. movement, and that is something that's really interesting. You know, a lot of these guys that we interview, like yourself, that's truly trying to target a mature buck. You know, it's like hunting something completely different from just the overall deer in that deer herd. They act different. Like you said, they're walking radars, mm-hmm. and it takes that much more of a focus in order to try to be successful, especially when you're talking about bow hunting for those whitetails and not just even trying to hunt them with a rifle. Because um, I've had, the last few years, good success with a firearm killing mature bucks on, on public land and different grounds and stuff. But, like, bow hunting, I've had very little success, really no success actually harvesting a mature buck with my bow. Came close, screwed the pooch on a bunch of them, mm-hmm. and uh, and it it is a it is a next level kind of difficultness, but also like you have to be so aware of your surroundings, especially bow hunting when you're trying to get that deer super close and you're trying to have everything set up perfectly in order for you to execute that shot, you know, with your shot distance. Right, right, right. You know, I always Daryl and I always love to, to go out to the woods, and and we would split up, and then go to land that we've never hunted before and so you go to an area that you want to hunt maybe there's an edge you pick a tree you get up in that tree and then for the entire hunt you may see three deer four deer and all four of those deer came within bow hunting you know range and you you know you do a kind of a high five to yourself and go yeah yeah i picked the great spot you know and so it's a competition with yourself to be able to pick a spot in the woods where deer are going to move, you know. Mm-hmm. So you just have to be cognizant of the, of the fact of of how to pattern these deer or, or just look at a geographic um, area, maybe a, a, a fallen tree. Uh, you know, anytime you see a fallen tree, and especially on the crown, if you walk to the end of that crown, there's going to be a trail around it usually. I mean, it's it, there's always something that that you can see, some type of features that that you need to hunt. So I'm I'm pretty curious about your history. You've hunted a lot of these really nice clubs, uh, like you you've hunted a lot of private land. You've hunted some public too, but but on these nicer clubs, like when I think of like a mossy oak hunting club, yeah, I'm thinking like lush food plot i mean like real nice places but it doesn't sound like you're always hunting something like that it sounds like you're kind of getting off into the bottoms and also a lot of this stuff correct me if i'm wrong in west alabama you're hunting swamp bottoms and pines probably uh 
how, what is your approach to hunting stuff like that? Are you are you focusing hard on food plots, or are you getting out in the woods? No, I, I really don't like to hunt food plots with, with a bow. I mean, a, a lot of my friends, first of all, all my buddies that, that do hunt with firearms, they kill bigger bucks than I do. They kill more bucks than mm-hmm. I do. I mean, they're more successful with the firearm, which would make sense. But, you know, I, I had rather go out and, and climb a tree and be... You know, it sounds crazy, but be intimate with the wildlife and be intimate, you know, with the deer I see and the wildlife that I see. Um, so, you know, I just try I try to get off the off the food plots. And one thing I've I've learned is is bucks, especially water, does not deter them at all, not whatsoever. I mean, I have seen big shooter bucks going out toward the river waiting and you know he's he's up you know past his legs and headed out toward where the river was where it's just going to get deeper and i'm like what are you doing <laughs> you know so deer can uh, or, or bu- big mature bucks you know they are going to be usually close to cover you're going to have to hunt you know, close to a thicket you're going to have to hunt close to uh, swampland and and just put in the time uh, try to find some type of uh, some type of funnel. On on the those clubs that you were hunting, were you one of the only ones that were kind of getting off in the timber, or are most of the other guys sticking to the food plots and and whatever else they had out there? Yeah, for the most part, you you, you have a couple of guys that are that will bow hunt and then will get out in the woods. But yeah, I enjoyed. I, I don't mind walking. I'm, I'm still I'm in pretty good shape and. You know, I love to to go, and, and I love to hunt new land I haven't been to. And, uh, again, it's it's kind of a competition, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun to, to walk to an area, jack up a tree, and then the only deer you see you could have shot. Mm-hmm. And that's a reward. Uh, uh, Richard, I want to talk to you about kind of the overall woodsmanship and how, like, maybe you've kind of – fine-tune your woodsmanship and knowledge of the habitat the terrain and how deer use it because you're talking about you know especially finding funnels and stuff especially which is extremely important for a bow hunter you you know you need Mm -hmm. something to pinch those deer down to get within a a shot range of you know whatever that shot range is that you're comfortable with but how especially like when you started hunting with like a lot of the mossy oak guys you know back in the 90s going into the 2000s was there anything that you kind of were taking away from what some of these guys were doing that were successful that you started applying yourself, like kind of the woodsmanship style of everything and kind of mold how you've kind of fine tuned your own skill sets in order to go out and not only, you know, hunt places that you've never been before, whether again, it's, it's, you know, one of these clubs, one of these leases, or if it's public land, especially in some of these other States that you've hunted in, you know, is there any kind of takeaways that you've learned, you know, in that, length of time that's kind of helped you shorten that learning curve and really kind of fine-tune your skill set to be successful with the bow and get opportunities at mature bucks specifically Mm -hmm. wind is everything wind direction i mean if if you go out and and you try to hunt a piece of land and you have to pay attention to the wind direction that's that's the most important thing that you can do i mean i've i've been in a you know i used to hunt out of uh you know now I'm like y'all. I hunt out of out of a saddle, but I used to hunt out of summit cl- uh, climbers and in uh, a lot of lock-ons. And uh, you know, I'm always checking the wind direction, and those deer are going to bust you 
if you try to fight the wind. You have got to hunt with the wind. You always have to basically, you know, appreciate the wind direction and hunt. That's that's probably the most important thing. Um, hunt anywhere that's that's close to uh, a thicket. Um, again, one of the biggest bucks I killed in Alabama, I shot where there was some hardwoods next to uh, some planted pines, probably three-year-old planted pines. And in the hardwoods, it was a, um, a gully. And the gully kind of went up the hill, and then the gully was, was pretty deep, and then the gully ended. And right where that gully ended was a good deer trail. I hunted that and killed, you know, probably the biggest buck I've, I've killed in Alabama. So anything that's linear, any type of linear barrier, whether it's a fence, whether it's a gully, um, anything, whether it's a beaver pond, um, hunt on, on the end of any type of linear uh, barrier. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, if you look at fence, you know, a lot of those old fences are still up. They're going to take the path of least resistance. And wherever the fence is down, I mean, this is, this is just kind of common, but wherever a fence is down, that's probably where a trail is going to be. So... You know that's that's what I do. I just I, I look for for where the deer is because they're going to take the path of least resistance. Even if it's thick, they're still going to take a path of least resistance in the thick stuff. Absolutely. Now I, I'm kind of getting back to what you're what you're saying, especially when finding these funnels and focusing on these funnels. Like say with that that buck that you killed, that's you know probably your biggest white tail you killed in Alabama. Uh, at the head of a, a ditch or a drainage or a gully where it kind of right. flattened out, you know, there's a trail right there and he was slipping through. How much of those spots... It was also the rut, so... Well, well, <laughs> well, well, let me ask. How much of those spots play a factor for you? Like, when you're talking like what your scouting looks like or how you go about, you know, planning out a hunt, how much of that kind of inventory is based off just what you're finding in the woods right then and there versus what you may be pulling off a trail camera? Like, are some of those areas, like, you're almost kind of going in kind of blind, like, hey, it's a good pinch point travel corridor i'm going to throw a sit at it and see how it plays out or is it one of those areas that you you're really kind of fine-tuning even more so with like trail cameras or anything like that yeah i use trail cameras and 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 i certainly recommend those i mean it's awesome to be able to set those up on a trail because it really truly gives you an opportunity to see you know who's using that trail so you know uh, you know I, i use spartan cameras and uh, I've, I've got a couple of tactic cam as well. Both of them are, g- are great cameras, so I, I use that a lot. Um, something else that you can look for um, during the, the early early fall is going to be rubs. So as the buck makes his way back, or these bucks make their way back to their bedding area, they're going to you're going to see rubs, and you can almost follow those rubs back from their feeding area to their bedding area you know so that that gives you a clue as to hey it's like leaving a a trail of breadcrumbs man yeah that's uh would you say also that a lot of these properties that that you're talking about right now again talking about primarily west alabama are going to be more flat less hilly or are you hunting some like decent hill country too oh god i don't like to hunt hill country i love flat bottomland swamps mm-hmm. you know that I, that I had i had rather shoot a 120 inch buck on in in swamps yeah off the alabama or tom bigby river than 
than you know shooting a 140 in a high fence you know in planted pines it's just something yeah. about hunting bottomland i just love it it's it's the it's the uh it's the wood ducks waking up in the morning oh dude you know <laughs> you hear that yeah. you know it's, oh. it's it's just it's what yeah. beautiful alabama mornings or it's what you live for oh you know and then, and, <laughs> i got and, chills and man. then and then and then oh gosh you hear bush 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 Oh, that yeah. makes the hair stand up on the back of your head, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've all heard that. Yeah. That bush, 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 hunting swampland. I love it, you know. So, okay, uh, yeah, this got really interesting. Jacob's over now. there squirming. Yeah, I know. I'm squirming over here. You know, it's not a video <laughs> podcast, but man, I'm over here like you know, I'm like petting the beard, like thinking over here. Um, Richard, so another thing that I'm very interested, in, and when we're talking about bow hunting, specifically like swampland, flatland. Something about that kind of habitat is something I'm still trying to learn personally. Mm-hmm. And, like, how to find, and I, I find, especially around big water, like, I found some pretty good funnels. I've hunted spots like what you're talking about in Arkansas, specifically, and mm-hmm. had success out there, not with a bow, with firearms, but again, kind of that, that low, that big, you know, river bottom kind of habitat. Um, and one thing I'm curious, like, with your success you've had in those kind of areas, can you give us some examples? Like, what are some of those funnels in those areas that kind of, you know, really catch your attention that are really like, these are spots that I really need to pay attention to, especially as we're starting to get towards the rut in, in, a, in an area we're talking, you know, flatland, river bottom kind of habitat? Well, you know, you, you would be surprised at the, the deer's memory of their trails. I had up a camera and it was, I had it on video mode. And it was in the hardwoods, but but it was it was I had it facing uh, kind of a small little creek, and and the little creek went went down probably three to four feet, and then you know it had it had had high banks on on both sides. So I had my camera there, and the the deer sometimes they would jump across it, sometimes they would walk down in the ditch and and just just walk across it. But anyway, it flooded, and so there was water everywhere. So I had video of this big doe. She's bouncing down this trail, but you couldn't see the trail, but you knew it was there. And what was crazy is when when she got to that ditch, but you could not see it. When she got to that ditch, she sailed up and jumped over that deep spot and then boom, kept going. She knew exactly where that ditch was exactly where it was so for the most part a lot of those bucks a lot of those does they're going to follow those same trails even though you can't see them mm-hmm. they're still going to follow those and they're they're not going to abandon them and 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 the bucks i'm blown away at the number of bucks that i see in swampland and i'm like where are you bedding down where, what, what are you eating why are you here but they're there so and and, and not, it's not just me. It's just a lot of buddies that hunt the swampland. They're out there in it. So something else that has been uh, very successful, and and I know that Mossy Oak and those guys always did this, and I learned about it back then, is that when the river would start coming up, they would they would and, and then it would start going down. They would hunt the water's edge as it's going down. So from one day to the next, it may be 20 yards, 20, 30 yards as the water went down and they would move and hunt the water's edge, you know, and get up in a tree. And those deer walk the edge as well. I was going to say, is that like a funnel thing or is there something? 
You know, I don't know, but, but because it's, it, it's it's hard to explain because they will will go out in the water and think nothing of it, but they will also walk the edge from where where the water is receding, and they will walk that edge. And th- th- there's no trail, there's no reason, but that's mm-hmm. what they walk, mm-hmm. and they did it over in the Mississippi River, and then, of course, they brought that technique back over to uh, to the Alabama River. Yeah, and it worked for them. And so I, I do the same thing. That is interesting. We interviewed a guy recently in Arkansas who hunts river bottom stuff like mm-hmm. flooded timber. And he was talking about actually setting up in the water, like 40 yards into the water, downwind from that shoreline. Yeah. And yeah. catching bucks cruising in the water, you mm-hmm. know, and shooting bucks like that. I don't know. Did anybody ever do anything like that in those mossy oak clubs, or have you ever done anything like that? Well, when where I hunted over to the uh, to the west of Thomasville, Alabama, we had it was fifty two hundred acres on the Tom Bigby River there, and um, yeah, a, a lot. And it, it floods. That's a lot of out of fifty two hundred acres, about thirty five is all flatland. And so um, when it floods, I mean, there have been several guys, several members that have killed some really nice bucks in the swamp why are they there I, you know I, I don't know i can't explain that but it does not deter them whatsoever yeah it, it's yeah. it's such an interesting thing to me because like i've been in a lot of river bottom areas i haven't hunted stuff like that a ton yet but like we've even been up to uh western kentucky on the ohio river and camped before like when we mm-hmm. went up there with kevin murphy and I, when we were there, they were talking about how good the deer hunting is, especially right along that river. And I'm standing on, on the bank of that river, and it's just open because that the river gets out of its banks and just plows everything over. And it's like a like sandy soil, hardly any understory. But they're talking about killing deer there, and it, again, sounds similar to like what you're talking about. And in these areas that flood a lot, and you have like a lot of water fluctuation, it's just. It's something totally different to me. So I'm always fascinated with how people find success because it's like what you're talking about. I stand there and I'm like, why are they here? Like, what is what is going to influence them? Because I like hill country. Yeah. I, I'm used to hill country. You know, I've, I can kind of figure it out. But that flat stuff, man, I just, it's a different world to me. To me, because I'm, I'm the same. I'm the same as Andrew. Like, I like hill country. Even, like, now starting to get more into, like, mountainous stuff because, like, topography is such a big factor in those areas. Again, not bow hunting. I'm talking rifle hunting here. Right. Uh, specific, Richard. But... When it comes to guys that are successful in flatland swamp habitat with archery equipment, to me it's just, you know, I, I get if you're hunting a feed tree, you're hunting some, you know, wide oaks dropping or water chestnut oaks or, or water oaks, whatever's dropping. I can see, like, how you can have some success, but it still takes a lot of effort in finding those hot trees. But when you're taking that kind of food source out of the equation a little bit, you're not necessarily hunting a feed tree and you're hunting more like some of these habitat features not necessarily terrain features but habitat features where there's some kind of funnel in this flatland to me it's extremely fascinating how to go about finding that and then also applying that when you actually go and hunt those locations because i mean you're talking about you know bucks working the water's edge working just inside the water you're talking about you know seeing big mature bucks having absolute zero issue going through water it's up on their chest and just kind of like you know it's, it's no big deal for them which again i'm coming from hill country i'm like yeah i can see a deer crossing a creek but they're not swimming down the creek. You know, yeah. they're just going no. across, come up the other side, going up on the ridge again. So that is super fascinating, especially, again, when it comes to Gosk or stuff that's been successful in that habitat. And, again, you even mentioned 
you'd rather have that flatland swamp habitat over hill country any day. And I'm like, oh man, I, I, again, it, it'd be a, it'd be a hard road ahead for quite a few years to try to figure that stuff out. So it's interesting kind of seeing how you've been able to figure that out and have more success in that kind of habitat. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you, you can still see trails. I mean, you, and it's crazy. I find myself walking through the woods and we've all done this. When you walk through the woods and you find yourself, you're walking the same trail that the deer's walking, mm-hmm. you know, simply because you're going kind of the path of least resistance through kind of thick stuff. So you can still see trails. Uh, and and I, I still look for trails. Cameras help me out. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, 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 especially if you, you want to hunt somewhere that's close to a, to a thicket. And and and. I love my favorite place to hunt. It would be some planted pines, a thick planted pines right next to a big swamp. Okay, let, let's talk about it. That's an edge, and yes, I sir. love it. You get my, you get me extremely excited. And uh, as uh, Doctor uh, Kevin Chapman from a couple weeks ago would say, I'm very now aroused. Okay, not sexually aroused, <laughs> but I'm very aroused. Now. Aroused. There could I be different. Know, man. There so, could be different aroused. Hey. <laughs> so yeah. so let, let, let's talk about this a little bit. Does deer hunting get you a little excited? Over a little, there? Just a little bit, just a little bit. It might be springtime. <laughs> yeah. We turn you up. God, me and Richard are like we're connected, you know, at the hip <laughs> when it comes to white tail hunting. So, when, when we're talking about you're, you're like you mentioned that spot, like again, those thick planted pines up against that swamp edge. How do you expect the deer to kind of specifically mature bucks to move through that kind of habitat transition edge between again the thick pines and that swamp? How would you expect them to move? And maybe can you walk us through maybe a hunt or two where you've kind of seen that and either had success or had close encounters with bucks doing what, what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things you can look for is going to be rubs, going to be scrapes, going to be any any activity that a, that a buck would do next to a thick area, like a, like planted pines. And, and for the most part, that buck is going to enter that thick bedding cover pretty much you know, he may have two or three entrance points, and he's going to use one of those. He just doesn't go into the thick planted pine, pines blindly. He's going to have his favorite little trail that he's going to take. And so if and, – and you can see these trails. I mean, it's – you can see them. All the deer are using them. The does are using them. Maybe the bucks may use some different trails than the does use. But you can pick up and look for, you know, uh, scrapes and rubs and you know uh, hunting that edge you, you've you've just got to be successful when and again in that setup you're, you're talking about the bucks and all, literally all, well not just the bucks but a lot of those deer are bedding in those thick pines in a situation like that how do you like to hunt those areas is it more like on a morning hunt is it more of an afternoon sit is it a little bit of both and also is it one of those times that like you'll enter your axis that spot from a couple different directions based off morning or evening how would you kind of go about hunting a scenario like that yeah first i'd look at the wind you know you, you always got to consider the wind that's that's the number one thing i look at before i hunt anywhere is the wind and so if 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 it's in the morning then I, I kind of want a wind that's that may be blowing into the thick stuff because I'm looking for those bucks to be walking that edge or coming in from maybe some hardwoods and then moving into the uh, into the thick planted pines. If you hunt it in the afternoon, then obviously you want a wind that's going to be coming out of the of the planted pines and blowing into the hardwoods. And uh, 
you know, and, and hunt fairly close to those planted pines. And and you, you're going to see you're going to see does. It, it's it's like it's just clockwork. You're going to see does and yearlings come out first. It's like hunting a food plot. And then you're going to see the small, you know, one and a half, two and a half year old bucks, and they'll come out. And then the big mature bucks are going to be the last to come out. And it's going to be pretty, you know, pretty late when they come out. Andrew, spot that comes to mind. This not listeners will have no clue what I'm talking about. That spot I checked out where. Old, old, uh, I don't know if I want to say it, tornado path, whatever, with pepper on, on a piece of oven uh, that we haven't hunted on. Yeah. Sets up exactly like what you're talking about. Thick, a big, nasty swamp, a lot of water, a lot of standard water, flooded timber. Oh, yeah. Right up against super thick, nasty pines, exactly what you're seeing. That, mm-hmm. You talk about deer sign. Man, yeah. the, that yeah. swamp. If you found high ground in that swamp, and I had a, you had to wear knee boots in there, and the water was still kind of low, but you can tell the water comes up high enough where you probably need hip waders walking through that stuff. The amount of sun in that swamp bottom, where they're coming out there feeding on a lot of water oaks that were down in there, mm-hmm. still dropping. And this was like in uh, Feb- February, wasn't it? No, no, it was Woodcock season, end of January. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And um, the amount of deer sign rubs, not really scrapes, because they didn't have like the right. habitat to scrape it, but the rubs, the tracks, the trails in that swamp coming in and out of the swamp, going back in those thick, nasty pines, young pines that, again, it's going to get better and better as we get a couple more years on. Dude, oh, yeah. It was, at, again, you're, you're, the, what you're explaining is exactly what I saw back in January when I went and kind of scouted that spot with Pepper when we were woodcock hunting. Um, so, and, and again, that's a spot that me and Andrew, I've talked to Andrew about hunting there. And, again, I don't have a lot of experience hunting swamps per se, but that's kind of what you'll be setting up for is, again, the whole idea of that transition of, those bucks and does are really all the deer coming in and out of those thick pines, going into that swamp to feed, you know, on that mass crop specifically, and then kind of going back to bed. And I'm trying to think if I found I found rub lines in the swamp, but I didn't find any close to the edge of the pines where you could have a very definitive kind of path to travel where a mm-hmm. buck's going back in. I mean, is it one of those things that is it fairly common for you to find that rub line going, you know, from that swamp all the way you know, up to that pine edge, or does it kind of fade out at some points? So, you know, what have you kind of found of like that buck's travel path and kind of what it looks like based off the sign he's living? Yeah. yeah you know, a lot of it depends on what time of the year it is. Obviously, um, early season when they're, when they're really rubbing, um, you know, you, you, you're just going to have to follow those, that sign. Well, let me tell you something that, that I do a lot is that I, I, I look for a tree in a thicket. I look for a tree that I can climb. I used to have a, you know, requirement. We all did when we, we when we climb with climbers. You know, you you could saw some limbs, but not not a, you can't saw a ton of limbs. Yeah. So you know, today I would I can climb just about any tree with my saddle, but I look for a tree that I can climb in a thicket, and I will spend hours with a handsaw, even a chainsaw. And, and and also a uh, uh, a hedger. Mm-hmm. I will spend hours in cutting some trails, in cutting shooting lanes in a thicket next to a big tree that I can climb. I also have a tractor. So I've got a you know 2006 Kubota four-wheel drive tractor with, with a front-end loader and and a. Uh, a heck of a, of a of a bush hog or rotary cutter um i will 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 go in some of these areas and i will bush hog trails toward 
a pine tree that may be bigger than any of the other pine trees that I can climb or any tree. Mm -hmm. And if you cut a trail, the deer are going to use it. Whether you cut a trail with uh, a hedger or uh, with a machete or anything like that, the deer are going to use those trails. Mm -hmm. So I use that to my advantage. So I, I do hunt a lot of thick stuff where I have gone in there and put the blood, sweat, and the tears in it and cut trails and cut lanes where I can shoot in the thick area. Because even if you have a thick area, you, you will have a little opening somewhere. And deer are going to – and so that that's land that you can hunt, you know, from daylight in the morning until dark and see deer all day. And they're going to be moving. That that buck I told you or uh, that both of you saw that my son shot, the, the really nice buck. Yep. That was killed in a beaver pond. And we went in. It was Christmas. And I said, hey, Josh, it's too hot to hunt. I mean, it's burn up. Mosquitoes are everywhere. Let's go and let's cut out a place and, 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 and find a place to hunt during the rut. And let's you know take the chainsaw in there, cut some lanes, and put up a lock on. And that's where he shot that buck. Really big buck. Wow. Yeah. yeah really? You know. Let me ask, does it seem like, because this is something that's really interesting, especially for someone that's in a hunting club, a lease, um, or even your own you know, private property that you have this access to, whether it's family-owned property or whatever, mm-hmm. to be able to go in and do some of that kind of stuff uh, and, and open it up. How, how quickly have you seen, after using this kind of style of kind of manipulating the habitat, how quickly do you see bucks starting to use that as kind of entry points to get further into that thicket or just use it to come into that thicket specifically? Almost, almost immediately because it's a path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. And if you if you cut that trail past the tree that you're going to be in, then he or she is going to come past it, you know. And, and what you're hoping, especially during the rut, is that a doe is going to use it and bring a buck by you. But I, I do that a lot, you know. I've got I've got a gas powered hedger, and I will cut a trail, and I will cut some limbs, and I've got a, uh, a silky, extendable saw. I mean, it is a. I mean, it'll cut your eyes if you look at it. I mean, this thing <laughs> will cut, and I use that. You know, it'll get up. You know, twenty five feet. So, I do a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in. And 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 encouraging these deer to come past me, dude. I got I so I've wanted to do that for like years. Let's talk about it. But yeah. we but but we always hunt WMAs, and and you can't trim anything on WMAs like that. But I I've gotten this club this year, and I can trim on the club. I can't cut down pine trees, but anything else is fair game. And you can mm-hmm. well you can limb in that whole yeah uh, yeah. You you would you would never know. <laughs> When 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 you walk past like a thicket, like some some planted pines, mm-hmm. and and then it gets thick, and, and maybe somewhere in there, there's um, there may be somewhere where the, the timber crews didn't cut. Yeah. Okay, but if you're walking as a hunter, you're walking past it, you will never see the trail that I cut because I don't cut the trail at the edge. I walk in probably five yards, and then I start cutting. But the deer will still use that because they will they will still you know they will be on that trail on the inside of the thicket, yeah, and they will work their way out to the edge, and so 
they'll know where it is and they'll use it but they will slip through those little you know a tight area yeah and then and then boom it's thick as it can be except for my little trail that i cut i do a u so i take my my edger <laughs> it's a gas powered edger and, and it's okay you know if you, you do it during the you know in, in october you can even do it like like i did with where my son shot that big buck we did it over the christmas break we got in there and, and cut a bunch of stuff and he shot it like mid-january or he something? shot it yeah no like january 21st and so but i will take that edger i'll crank it up and then i will do a u you know i'll start the u up top come down you know start it at 11 o'clock come down at six o'clock and go up to two o'clock and i just will cut a u and boom and i'll just go and it's it's just cutting as i'm moving along is there is that strategic like you're leaving a little bit of ground cover so like that that buck is walking through there and he's got you know stuff brushing no. up against his chest or whatever or is mm-hmm. that just efficient no no i i cut it but but also i'm cutting a trail that i'm using as well so mm-hmm. i mean so it, it works both ways so i, I don't want to when i walk in i don't want to touch anything mm-hmm. i don't touch anything when i walk in i don't i don't i don't take my hand and move a branch out of the way if if i've got a brush against it i'll cut it i do not want them to be able to smell anything but in that thicket i mean you just it's not just one trail i mean I, i will cut a trail going in to this tree and then i will cut trails around it that that bring the deer toward my tree they can make it intersect at that point it's going to intersect. So it's it's it works. If you cut a trail, the deer will use now, it. Let me ask, have you ever had success doing this? Or have you ever, I mean, not even have success. Have you ever done it for a ground blind set? And I mean, doing it, say, in like 8 to 10-year-old pines, where it's trees that aren't really big enough to really get a log on and very easily, or even a saddle, unless you're sitting pretty low, but you're exposed. But set up a ground blind in an area where you're kind of doing the whole idea of the same trails, but you're setting up on, on the ground and setting it up in the tree. Have you ever done it before? Ooh, you know, I, I should. I should hunt from the ground more. But, you know, I, I look for a tree to climb, and, and especially one with limbs, mm-hmm. especially today because I, I saddle hunt. Yeah. So I'm, I especially want a tree with limbs. But, yeah, I want to get up. Is there is there any kind of specific thought process to how you're cutting those trails around that tree? Like, are you are you doing one like parallel on each side of you, and then one perpendicular in front of you, or or what what does that look like when you're actually cutting the trails for the deer to use to present you a shot? Yeah, from from the tr- from the tree, and, and and I do not want them to walk other than my trail that takes me to that to that tree, and I will stop the trail kind of a little bit before I get to my tree. Mm-hmm. I don't want to bring the deer under me, you know. I don't want them to be, you know, that close. Mm-hmm. But I want them to be obviously within within bow range, and then I'll 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 just cut maybe some some limbs or something so I can I can shoot I can shoot a uh, you know have a have a a shooting lane. But I will do almost like a it's like a crow's foot, you know. I will go out in this direction from you know the middle of the clock going out to you know nine o'clock in the middle of the clock going out to 11 o'clock middle of the clock going out to one o'clock and i will will cut these trails that bring these deer it's going to bring them past me in my tree so you you know yeah you remember the uh, moccasin bar moccasin pond whatever 
Like, oh yeah, Dalvin check that's a, since we've been talking about this. That's the spot I've been thinking about. That's the about. spot that this would work so good at. So Richard, on, on Andrew's club right now, there is a uh, actually behind the check station. Funny enough, or behind like their pinout board, probably two hundred yards from it, there is a, a skinny little SMZ that goes up into uh, again a pine thicket. That's probably no, it's probably eight ten year old pines, probably right. Yeah, now. very thick. But there's a high to thickness, ton of deer bucks in that area the whole 90 yards but so thick that nobody ever hunts there like and, and there's that smz stops at this little pond when i say it's a little pond it's probably 30 yards wide that just had had unbelievable amount of water moccasins in it back in like september oh when we were like tons <laughs> of snakes but there's a yeah. couple there's a couple really good trees right off the point of that that again this kind of just like you talk about a funnel where you know deer you know if they're kind of working through that pond thicket they're kind of coming around the head of this pond to kind of go through this pond because it right. juts way so, out so the pond yeah so you know that's there's a there's a funnel and again, but with the funnel, but also setting up some of these trails, kind of going out off the tip of this SMZ into this pine thicket to kind of bring them a little bit closer to that SMZ and, and kind of closer to the point of it, I think would work pretty good after talking yeah. about this. I'm like, mm. and, and the axis is pretty good for that spot too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, if you cut a trail in thick stuff, mm-hmm. they will use it. The deer will use it. So you just have to use it to your advantage to bring the deer wherever you're going to be. That has been that. I, I've done that a lot with with my tractor. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not cutting planting pines or anything. I respect the landowner. I respect you know a, a, a lot of the you know, the timber companies. I get that, and I'm so I'm not cutting planted pines, but I am. I can cut a trail mm-hmm. with my bush hog and bring it past you know, a tree that I want to climb, and then and just kind of crow's foot it, so to speak, either with my tractor or with my my uh, steel hedger. We gotta get one of those, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, we get one of those gas power. You know. I'm telling you, it it works. It works. No, that's that's such a good point. That, that's something I've always again. Me and Andrew have talked about that in a pat in the past of like doing something like this. But the problem is, up until very recently, we've hunted just public land, and it's one of those things that like you know, just not not one to get in trouble or anything like that. Kind of doing that public land. But when you're on a hunting club and you have or a lease where you have a lot more options to do this kind of thing. I mean, this is a legit, real opportunity to be able to really help funnel deer through an area to give you opportunity. Mm-hmm. Again, whether you're a bow hunter or even if you're a rifle hunter, I mean, you're going to have close shots, but it's one of those things that you're you're bringing deer closer to a specific location, which makes me bring up another thing. Richard, do you ever use mock scrapes at all? Mm-hmm. Like, do you use them around these setups? Yeah. Okay. All right. I do. Mm-hmm. I will. I will. I, I will I will pee in them. The first time I heard about that, okay. I was I was at the Quality Deer Management Association meeting, and um, oh, I'm trying to think of his name. He's from the University of Georgia. His name is Carl Miller, Doctor Carl Miller, and he said, "Hey, if I come up on a scrape, you know," he said, "I freshen it up," and, you know, and and he did the gesture as you know he's peeing in the scrape. And that's the first time I've ever heard that. So, um, but yeah, yeah. If you if you do a scrape, then bucks will start using it, and then bucks will come over. And if they've used it before, the bucks will come over to check it out to see if anybody has been there. You know. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of mock scrapes. Mm. Big fan, mm. especially in those in those thickets that that you're kind of prepping. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the it's it's the best place to hunt, especially after the season starts and they really the deer really start going to uh, to the thickets and 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 not come out until until dark. 
and it's just an area where you can manipulate you can innocently manipulate uh where the deer walk and you're not doing any damage to the timber you're just you're just cutting mm-hmm. lanes and what, they'll follow it what kind of pressure do you think you're putting on the deer when you're diving into those thickets like that is that something you're mindful of and kind of limit and th- and that's like a spot where you got a good weather day and you're going to go in there and hopefully kill a deer or do you just kind of hunt them whenever because you but got based good off access. the wind yeah yeah i mean the, the wind is always key you, you never force it mm-hmm. I, I never force you know if i never think i can get away with uh with a with a bad wind I, I just don't. I just don't hunt it. Let me ask you this, okay? So if you're talking about finding a tree that you're you're prepping again, because I'm very now because I'm very interested in this because we're talking about trying to get in a couple different hunting clubs this coming year, and I've got some spots already in mind on this one club that I want to do this on. If you're paying attention to the wind and you are having to walk down whichever lane you're using for access, which I'm guessing you're setting this stand up, this tree up for a very specific predominant wind based off the time of year you're wanting to hunt it and it sounds mm-hmm. like you're kind of hunting these specific spots a little bit later in the season it's not necessarily like an early season spot it sounds like it sounds like when the pressure gets up gun pressure gets up the deer gets stacked in there and that's when you're attacking these spots it makes me wonder how are you going about setting up the tree the axis and everything based off the wind condition of when and how you're wanting to hunt it so i'm guessing you're kind of running through this through your mind are you setting them up for like a north wind northwest wind how do you have these areas located and set up based off how you're trying to cut your access trail into it yeah a lot of times you don't have a choice i mean you you, you can only hunt this during a, a a south wind and you could not even set it up for a north wind you know it, it just it just depends on on the terrain it, it depends on access it depends on a lot of things so uh, you, you try to set up as many of those as you can and and it's a lot of work it really is it's a lot of work i mean this it's it's going to be worth it's, it's it's the blood sweat and tears that you you put into it um so you just have to set up as many of those as you can and some of them you can have different access points you know, it, it just depends. It's hard to say. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors. And trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable. Like everybody's jaws were dropping. Like when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. How far typically when, you know, taking your access trail or access trails out of the equation, these other lanes that you're wanting to cut, typically how far do you want to go when it comes to cutting the distance of those specific trails? I mean, is it 50 yards? Is it 100 yards? 150 yards? Typically, how far do you like to try to get out into that thick stuff when you're cutting these lanes kind of coming back by your tree? Yeah. Um, you know, if, if, if you're able to cut 100 yards, then do that. You know, the 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 more that you're able to cut, the longer of the of the trail, and it doesn't have to be necessarily linear where you could see down it. Although it always helps, but you know, sometimes you, you're going to have to, you know, move around thicker stuff that you just can't cut. Mm-hmm. But keep that trail, keep that trail, keep moving with the trail because as the deer are are walking, they're going to be in that in that thick stuff. And when they walk and they come up on a trail that, that's easy walking, <laughs> I promise you, they will turn either left and right, either go away from you or they're going to come towards you. They will walk those trails. So, you know, it, it, it varies. This gets me so excited. Yeah. <laughs> so excited for this coming deer season. It, oh, it, man. It, it varies. It, I mean, it's, 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 it's what I love to do because you can go into those areas and you know it it sometimes 10 o'clock you know people give up you know they they come down i say 10 o'clock a lot lot of people come down at nine o'clock i try to stay you know as long as i can but when you hunt those areas it's not like okay the deer hunts over the deer aren't moving well it's a day they could produce they could produce they could produce at any time of the day any time yeah, absolutely. Because you're in that thick bedding cover that also down here in the deep south, one thing interesting about this thick cover, especially in, you know, pines specifically, but any kind of like other thicket, there's a lot of other food sources in there that those deer are browsing on throughout the day. Those does are browsing on it. So if the does are there, especially as a rut spot, these bucks are going to be there as well. You're talking about putting mock scrapes. And it brings up one other question I have with these spots. Do you ever top sow any kind of seed in these locations, especially if you're bringing a tractor in there, like is is it ever like you're going in there, kind of top sowing, 
any kind of thing in those specific spots? And again, does that differ between if you're using a tractor versus if you're hand cutting <laughs> in these locations? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You you can go in if you have an open spot that that's going to get sun. You can spray it with glyphosate, and then and then you spread your seed. Just sow it on top of that. I mean, you can spray your glyphosate and then spread your seed almost immediately. I mean, you, you, you can. And so it's going to die and lay down and create a great mat, which is which is going to be the perfect uh, for, for whatever you plant to germinate and grow. Yeah, a lot of people can do that. It just and, and glyphosate's so cheap and so easy to use. And you can spray. You, you, you just need sunlight. You just need sunlight. Spray it. So we, we did that up in, so, so my oldest son, when he turned 18, I took him to the Auburn FSU football game out in Pasadena. That was his gift. My, old, my next son, who's a year and a half year uh, difference between those two, he said, Dad, you took Josh to the uh, to Auburn, to the national championship game, Auburn, Florida State. He said, I want to go on a deer hunt to the Midwest. So I said, okay. I said, well, it's hard to do that because the, the only time we should go, I want to take you is going to be during the rut. I said, and you're going to be in school at Auburn. And so, but anyway, how it worked out is 2020 was kind of like when everything shut down. Mm-hmm. And and he just basically took that year off. I mean, they, they, they couldn't even go to class at Auburn. So he took that, that fall off. I said, okay, so I'm going to join a club up in Illinois and we'll go up there and, and we'll hunt. And uh, so anyhow, so we were up there, we were in this big field in this bottom and they, they said that they n- never hunt it because they don't see any deer there. And so, I mean, it was about an eight acre uh, field that was beside a, beside a creek that ran across it. And then on the backside was a, was a really tall hill that went up. And I said, do you mind if, if I plant this? And they said, no, go ahead. And, and my son, Zach, says, Dad, they said they don't ever see any deer here. I said, Zach, look around. I said, look at this. I said, what we can do, we can have our own little food plot right here, and we'll put up a lock on right there. I said, I promise you, you plant it, and they'll come. And that's what we did. I went out, and I sprayed glyphosate. This is about a third of an acre. It may have, may have been a 25% of an acre. It wasn't very big at all. Mm-hmm. But in, in the grass, and I've got video of this, the grass is probably up to your to your chest, and I'm spraying glyphosate all over it. And then I go through and I spread um, fertilizer, and then I spread the seed. It was it was wildlife management solution seed. Those guys give them a plug. Those Bumgarner boys, they know what they're talking about. They have great seed. Wildlife Management Solutions. Anyway, so I spread that seed, you know, higher than the rate that 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 it called for. Mm-hmm. But I spread the seed, and then I used the farmer. The farmer let us use his his bush hog, and and I, I, I sprayed it on Friday afternoon. We got there on, on Friday afternoon. I sprayed it Friday afternoon, and then I bush hogged it on Sunday. 
before we left because I, I wanted it to, you know, to, to absorb the, the glyphosate and give it time to die. And then I went in there and bush hog it. It's, it's called throw and mow, but, but you, I didn't even have to mow it. And then when we left on Sunday, we got a rain. It, it was perfect. Couldn't have, couldn't have been any better. Now, I, I can show you videos and I can show you pictures. Oh, man, that stuff came up like crazy. And my son, I sent you the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you saw it. You know, he killed a really awesome buck, you know, well, he scored, you know, 140, something like that at that location. So, um, yeah, you can go in anywhere and spray, and spray glyphosate and then sow your seed, throw some fertilizer out there. Your, your pH probably is not going to be great, but, you know, I mean, I mean you can put, put some lime out there. But, uh, but, yeah, that technique works, and nobody will have a clue. They're going to eat it down, but they'll still come to it. Listen, this, oh. is, this is what gets me excited because, listen, I like the whole idea. And, again, we're, we're kind of talking like some hunting club and lease kind of tactics here so far. But I like the idea of being able to go into these spots, like you said, Richard, that 99.9% of the other members of that lease or club are not going to go in no, that location. They will never go there. And if you go in there, it's almost like you're having that whole area to yourself. And if you're able to kind of, like you said, like you're cutting these lanes, and if you're able to, you know, get some sunlight down in that location and then spread whatever kind of seed that you're wanting to grow, which I was going to ask, like, is there a specific something that you like to throw in? I was just about to ask that, That, too. That grows especially good, especially, like, if you're talking, I'm I'm thinking, like, in pines where – like yeah, you can trim the you can trim the limbs up to the trees to so be able to get sunlight down, but it's still very minimum sunlight. Is that like a spot you would put some clover out? What is like your thought on you know areas like that where you're trying to get some kind of greenery to grow that also attracts the deer? It's going to have the does kind of attracted there that really sets up really good for the rut. Yeah, clover's awesome. Clover's awesome. Um, you you know I, I hate ryegrass. I do not plant ryegrass. I hate ryegrass. I will never plant ryegrass. Um, some people, you know, plant it and, and they swear by it, but, but I've never seen a biologist that has given rye grass uh, a thumbs up. So rye grain is a different story. So, and, and rye grain will grow, it will actually germinate at a very low temperature. So rye grain is, is something really, really good to plant there. Uh, wheat, oats, some clover, uh, frosty burseem makes an appearance in the in the fall we makes a big appearance in the spring um but yeah frosty bursting clover is good you know the cereal grains mm-hmm. again the uh, the rye grass i love rye i mean not rye grass rye grain i love rye grain because it will germinate at at, at a low temperature you know in, in case you do plant in it's a little and then, early and, yeah and then you and then you you get a a frost a frosty bursim mm-hmm. will take and that's the reason why it's called frosty because it's that's the reason it was developed it can take cold and frosty bursim uh will also take um, a lot of moisture it can it can survive in more wet areas frosty bursim and you're just fan. planting this i'm guessing late september time frame mm-hmm. yeah August, same september? same time yeah okay yeah, and all you need to do is, is spray some glyphosate, and it's going to, it it's going all that grass is going to die mm-hmm. and lay down on top of it. Give give that thatch as uh, Doctor uh, Grant Woods talks about. You know, kind of mm-hmm. holds that moisture in, doesn't let the you know doesn't let the ground dry up, and right. allows it to germinate real easy. 
we're getting a backpack. Andrew, we need to make, check, make a checklist. We need a backpack spare. <laughs> we need that gas-powered hedge trimmer that he's talking about. Still hedge trimmer. What else What else we need? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm not buying a tractor, but you know, the yeah. areas we're looking at is a little, uh, little smaller. Yeah. You're, gonna, you're, you're certainly going to need to take a just, – just pack it in there. Take a, take a limb saw because you're, you're going to get up in the tree and you know, you're going to have some limbs that you're going to have to cut. You're just going to have to cut. So, have you ever used one of those uh, like steel gas powered like extensions, um, chainsaws or whatever? Like I've seen some poles. So I was like, get kind yeah. of you know, like yeah. eight, ten feet or something like that. But I mean, or are you just pretty much using a handsaw if you need to get some distance. You know, if to take a a gas powered saw in there, I mean, the 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 silky saw that I use, the hand the uh, the extension limb saw. I mean, one, two, three, four, five six boom i mean pull push pull push and it's cut it's cut it is so sharp yeah so yeah, I, I wouldn't take a, a saw like that in yeah. there for, for anything up high yeah because you may want to get higher than you can reach mm-hmm. with that with the gasoline yeah saw so just take a limb saw oh, uh, uh, and a good one and a preferably a blade that is that Hooked. that's yeah curved yeah a straight blade doesn't it just it doesn't work as well yeah and this i know the silky and, and i'm not being paid by silky i'm just that's just who i use mm-hmm. uh, you know that blade is curved so as you're pulling it back it's always in contact with the limb and yeah you know you you go across it six times even less andrew uh, this is cut andrew what's your thoughts on this so far you know, no, I already it, got the spot in mind, man. Spot? No, no, no you, hear, you didn't hear Richard. He's got to be spots. Oh, just oh, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. You, like, have, you, you need you, spots. We got one in some planted pines that are old, like mature timber, and they are thick underneath. We were oh, out there, that, that spot. Yeah. We were out there this morning actually walking yeah. around, that's, and, that's man, terrible. they're impenetrable. I'd, I'd, I'd hire some day workers to come help us do that. They're so thick. Bad. On the last day of deer season, I had a doe 40 yards from me mm-hmm. that busted me because I was wiggling around in my tree. I was scratching my nose or something, yeah. and I look <laughs> over. She's 40 yards from me, and I can only see her face. Yeah. I mean, it's like she poked her face through the cover. Yeah, I call those Houdini deer. Oh, my gosh, dude. <laughs> like, where'd you come from? Uh, seriously, she just came out of nowhere, and then she just turned, and as soon as she turned her face out of that little hole, I couldn't see her anymore. Yeah. I mean, it is thick, and I was like 30 feet up. I mean, I was up pretty high in that yeah. tree. Now, you know, I, I will say this: in in a lot of hardwoods, it's tough to do that because you're you're going to get so much leaf litter mm-hmm. on the ground. It it will pretty much cover everything. Cover the anything anything you yeah. plant. Yeah, yeah. So so you really need it to be in 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 planted pines, three or four, five year old planted pines. Um, it, it, you just need an area where there's there's not going to be a lot of hardwoods because if they're hardwoods, you, you're going to have leaf litter mm. and it's and it's going to cover it up and, and you will be disappointed because it will be a mat of leaves. So, so where grass is growing mm-hmm. is in 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 some type of planted pine or off, uh, you know, uh, th- th- these planted pines just off to the side or something. There's there's just areas that you can find that's got sunlight and for some reason for some reason um you know the 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 pines aren't growing right there or maybe the guys that that planted the pines skipped it or for for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and it's just grown up with a bunch of stuff yeah 
you know that, that's a good point that that's one of those things that a lot of people don't uh realize and you can see this like on on x maps and you can see it when you're paying attention to aerial imagery especially if it's recent aerial imagery where some of these pines have died or for whatever reason like you said like they just didn't grow well like right. already and so you already have a natural opening that you can kind of work with then it's trying to find a tree that you can get in or if you're gonna use a ground blind setup whatever that looks like but put position it in dude i'm so excited i'm thinking yeah. i've got some other spots in this club i'm thinking about already like yeah. god dude it really does not take a lot of effort to spray glyphosate and then spread your seed. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. Yeah, it's like the most effort would just be cutting the lanes in and, and all that kind of stuff, especially if you're not using a tractor and you can't really get a tractor in the spot. But if you're using, like, again, like the, the whole gas power hedge trimmer and everything, working your way through, opening some stuff up, um, you know, spraying your glyphosate and then, you know, spreading that seed in specific spots. But my the thing I like about this is you're hunting areas that other guys just are not going to be going to. So you're in where the deer want to be and you're giving them a reason to even spend more time or use that train, that habitat feature that you're cutting mm-hmm. in to use that habitat feature to then give you shot opportunities, whether you're bow hunting or even if you're, you're rifle hunting in one of those spots, you might not have a shot past 50 yards, but it's one of those locations that, you know, if you can catch them stepping out in your five foot, eight foot wide opening that's, mm-hmm. you know, 60 yards long, whatever, you know, that's that's a, a lot better option than seeing the edge of that thicket that you might not see him in unless he runs a doe out into that opening. Right. So. Right. Uh, any, any place like that, anywhere that there is, you've got a main road and then you've got a, a road that goes off to the right, a road that goes off to the left, and then it goes down there and dead ends. That is not your area you want to plant never go to like a main road and then a road goes off maybe to um to uh, an smz or to a, a stream and it dead ends every hunter in that hunting club is going to turn off the main road and they're going to follow that road down to the right or to the left and they're going to go to the end and then they're going to go to at the end of that road when they get there they're going to park and they're going to go right or left do not go down there and plant okay go off the main road and just bail off don't ever go down and plant and and, and, and you don't want to set up your stand anywhere where there is a, a, a a road that dead ends and everybody goes to the dead end and they hunt there that's not where you want to hunt. Mm. That sounds, <laughs> it's funny, it's, man. It's that, not where you want to hunt. You want to hunt on the main road okay. it, that, that, that may go for a mile mm-hmm. and you just, you just bail off somewhere. You just pull off. But, but, and hey, and that's where on X is so important. And then, you know, something else I do is, is that you know, there, there's probably going to be some type of oil can. Or something like that, on on the side of the road. I mean, these these loggers litter. Unfortunately, yeah. you yeah. use it as a marker. I use that as a marker. Wrist ah. <laughs> wrencher, same wavelength, baby, same will, wavelength. I will take this <laughs> oil can yeah. or whatever it may be, yeah. and I will pick it up, put it in my vehicle, and drive it down, and then I will place it on the usually the opposite side of the road, and then and then right there. I will have a bright eye that's going to be on the almost on the ground, almost on the ground. I mean, it's going to be really low, and I can see that bright eye if I shine down at the ground 
and then I go in right there, and then I'm going to have bright eyes that takes me. Listen, that oh, dude, that is slick. Yeah, this this is the stuff I wanted. This is the as our buddy John Hollywood said, this is the juice juice. Man, it's funny because it's kind of similar. We talk to a lot of public land guys who who talk about and and we talk about this too. The same thing, parking off the side of a main road and just diving off. Right, I'm not using a typical parking spot. Never go. Well, well, here's what I do. You know, here's what I did up in Illinois. I've got I've got a bike. I've got an an electric bike. Got an e bike. So I park on the main road. I mean, I park at the at the parking spot where you have to park. And then I offload my bike, and I know exactly where I'm going. I get on my bike, and and I I'll strap my bow on the back back of my bike, and boom, I take off. And I may go a mile, I may go two, miles, I may go back up the road. I mean, I'll go back up the road, and then I'll just dive off, you know, into the woods, lay my bike down, I lock it with a you know with a lock and key. But I lay it down, and you, you can't really see it. Yeah. And I use my Onyx, and boom. Off I go, and, you know that's what I did when I killed my Boone and Crockett. Yeah, you know I I parked here, got on the road, rode my bike down this pavement for a long time, and I, mean, I have to say for for I don't know maybe a, a half a mile. Yeah, and belt off into the woods, and I walked from there. Man, there, dude, we could we could go on and on and on about this uh we're sitting in an hour 12 here and I, <laughs> like without going for four hours which we could absolutely do trust me we've done it in the past uh i, I want to that's a good segue into your boone and crockett book because we've been talking this whole time about hunting clubs down here in the south hunting west alabama hunting river bottom stuff uh and you've had a lot of success doing that but you've also had success southern boy going up to the midwest illinois shooting a boone and crockett buck and your son and your daughter i mean y'all are family of killers man i mean every one of y'all has killed a bunch of big deer it, but the thing about mm-hmm. the public but the the boone and crockett it was on public land yeah which is something kind of interesting and i do want to get into this story because i think it's a very fascinating story yeah, i think definitely. listeners can get a lot of R- real quick richard what got you like because you said you joined a hunting club up there what got you to just want to go out there and try some public land well that was the the, the hunting club was in 2020 the hunting club in Illinois was 2020 and that was to take my son up and give him an opportunity at shooting a you know a really good quality Illinois buck mm-hmm. and he did and he did so um so he he was back in school at Auburn you know on, on 2021 so I, I got out of that club really loved it great guys in there really enjoyed it but and and I went up um to Illinois and hunted uh, public land with uh, my my high school best friend Mike Turner, just a just a great guy, and and, and his brother, and we did a um, we rented a house from uh, Airbnb, and so um, I actually injured myself. The the well that afternoon was when I said that I said Lord, you know I was was hunting. The afternoon, two o'clock. Said, "Lord, it's it's been a little while since I've shot a really nice buck. You know, I mean, a really. I'm, I mean, I've shot some one fifteens and some one twenties, but I really want one like at least 130, 35, 140. And I said, "Lord, it's it's been a while. If it's your will, will you bring a buck to me? You know, and and I prayed that prayer. And forty five minutes later, this this I don't you know I I told you when I look at a buck and I said." And I am going to shoot him. I do not look at his antlers anymore. I do not focus on them. I'm in kill mode. But anyway, 
and, and I, I told y'all the story, but but anyway, I I messed up, and that buck got away from me, and and I looked to the you know looked to the sky and I said, Lord, you did your part. You brought that that big buck to me, and I'm the one that screwed up, and and I actually snickered, um, and so the next day. Um, well, that evening, I stepped in a hole and, and cut my shin, and I had to go to the ER and get stitches. So, And it was really hurting. I had to get like eight stitches. So it, it, it really cut a big gash in my Dang in up. my shin. Yeah. So my buddy, so Mike and his, his, his uh, brother, Bert, they got up the next morning and went hunting. I said, guys, I'm, uh, you know, this is killing me. My leg is hurting. I said, I'm, I'm going to sleep in and hunt, you know, tomorrow afternoon. So they went hunting, and I slept in, and I got up, you know, 8 o'clock. I left out at about 11.30, and I was going to a piece of land I had never been before. And the only thing that, that, that drew me there was the creek that went up, and it formed uh, kind of a long U. And so anytime you have that, you if, the, if, if deer in that you they will walk all the way to the tip they're going to cross the creek right there or if they're on either side of that long elongated you um they're going to walk and then and then hit the creek and then walk around to the tip and then walk around it and then go where they're going Mm -hmm. and that's where i wanted to go so i had to i had to walk it was almost three quarters of a mile back into that particular area and it was open hardwoods and um, really thick right there at the creek and the creek was at my back and um, so I was eating a, a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at 1.30 in the afternoon I had just gotten there I actually had had my release because I put my clothes on I, I walk in into the woods almost naked I mean because I do not like to sweat Mm-hmm. And so I carry everything in my backpack. And so when I got there, I got up a tree, I put all my clothes on, and uh, and, and then I forgot to put my release on. So I'm eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I look down the creek, and I see something move, and I see it shake. I said, that's a deer that just crossed the creek. And I brought up my binoculars, and I see the antlers as he's coming toward me. I went, oh, my God, that's a shooter. That's a shooter. <laughs> Didn't look at him anymore as far as his antlers. And so, uh, and, and I knew my shot to my left. I'm, I'm you know, I'm facing the tree because I'm saddle hunting, and uh, I knew my shot was going to be to the right of the tree. So, you know, it took me a while to get my my bow over to the to the right hand side of the tree, and and it could not have worked out more perfectly. He was walking. He would stop, look around, you know, as they do radar, and yep. then he would he would walk some more, and he walked directly in in front of me and then when he got behind the tree i pulled back and he stepped out and it and it happened just like it does on tv i went whack he stopped i hit him exactly where i was aiming you know right in the in 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 the side in the chest cavity he took off running and i thought at 17 yards i'm going to get passed through because i was shooting a a uh uh, a, a broadhead was a fixed blade anyway he took off running in the hardwoods and i watched him stop he started fishtailing and i watched him stop and i watched him fall over i celebrated and this this is something i want to i want to illustrate to everybody because 
when you shoot a, a really good quality deer, if your daughter, if your son, if your wife, any of your loved ones shoots a really quality deer, if you shoot a really quality deer, please take time. Take pictures. You may not think it's important, but your son will want to say, hey, this is granddaddy. This is his buck. Mm-hmm. Or especially if it's your daughter or your son, you know, take pictures. Take lots of pictures. Take time to take pictures. But anyway, so I videoed myself after I shot the buck while I was still in the tree. And I, I replayed everything. And I still watch it today, and I still get such a kick out of it. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, I rappelled down the tree. You know, I mean, boom, it didn't take me, you know, what, three, four seconds to go down the tree. I was probably, you know, 23 feet up. Yeah, you fast roped it down. Oh, I man. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and then I've, I videoed myself and I talked about it and I can't recreate that. And it's so awesome to watch that, you know, how excited I was because I knew he was big. And so I, I went looking for my arrow and I thought, okay, hey, 17 yards, a fixed blade, I'm. I'm actually getting passed through. I didn't get passed through on this deer. It did not go through all the way. I shoot 70 pounds. And, but anyway, so I, I, I went to, um, to, to, to look for blood, and I lost blood. I knew where he was, and I just said, screw it. Let's run, and let's look at him. So I filmed that. So um, I just want to just emphasize that, you know what? Film, your, your, as you blood trail, film it. And then, you know, it's a great buck. You can't repeat that, and you can watch that for the rest of your life. And that's what I did. So anyway, so I, I went to a place where uh, I had never been before. I went to a feature. I hunted where I thought bucks would be would, would be traveling. And, and I was right because when I got there, there was obviously a trail right where I was. And um, so it, it all worked out, and I probably will never kill a buck that big. You know, 170, 173, uh, typical, 176, non-typical. When you 270 up to him, pounds. What's what, that? What, when you walked up to him, what was going through your mind? Because you, you didn't realize he was like a booner when you shot him, did you? I didn't think he was as big as he was. Mm-hmm. I knew he was big, and I kind of downplayed it. And so, um, you know what? I looked to the heavens, and I said, thank you, God. Because had I shot that buck yesterday, then I... I wouldn't have killed this one. Mm-hmm. And the buck the day before was a great buck, but he wasn't a Boone and Crockett. You know, so I, I, I thank my Lord and Savior and said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this buck. And then I just, you know, I, I picked his antlers up and, and I'm filming this and I'm just, I, I, I'm so excited. And, and, and no one to celebrate it with. And I had one bar, so I couldn't call anybody. And so I, sh- I, I was on this buck at, two o'clock in the afternoon and the buck ran in open hardwoods and i said i am not leaving this buck not until it gets dark and then i'm leaving so i had to stay there and just admire him but while i was there i i found a limb that i could put my phone on and take pictures you know i, I could you know hit the delay do the i think the 10 second delay and i would hit the delay you know run get in, get in front of the camera and you know, hold the antlers up, and I took multiple pictures, and I'm so glad I did, right by myself. Yeah, there's some great pictures too, and th- those are going to be on social media. When when people hear this, you can go and uh, and go look at that buck. You'll you'll know which one it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That and, and, and you know, put your time in. Hey, especially during the rut. 
And that buck was on his his feet, you know, at one thirty in the afternoon. A monster, probably a six and a half year old buck. Mm-hmm. But you know, the rut does that to him, and it's the best time to hunt. To me, I, I love hunting the rut in Illinois, in the Midwest. It is the most awesome time to be there. No doubt. Yeah. Richard, as get, to get in point here to, to wrapping up, uh, we're, we're going to have to have you back on the podcast because I've got a lot more questions, but again, we don't need to be a three-hour podcast this time. I, I, one of the last things I want to ask you is, you know, we're, we're, we're in the springtime now. This episode will come out like roughly in April or so. So there's still a lot to happen. There's a lot of things that guys can do in order to get prepared for this coming deer season this fall. What would be your piece of advice based off of what we've talked about, especially if a guy's really wanting to kind of up his odds when it comes to bow hunting come this fall, maybe take it even more seriously. What are some things that you would recommend them to pay attention to, look at, uh, to get ready for this fall, whether it's, you know, just setting up properties like what we've talked about so far, you know, the bow itself. What, what would be some of your advice in order to get somebody kind of mentally prepared to bow hunt for coming this fall? Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you could have the best property in the world. And if you do not access it and, and you do not uh, approach it, from uh, a way that's going to give you the best opportunity to shoot, you know, quality deer. Um, one thing that's that's changed my hunting has been my one sticking has been, you know, me um, saddle hunting. And, you know, my my 19 year old son thought I was crazy. You know, I said, I'm, I'm saddle hunting. And he thought it was a fad. He said, oh, dad, you're crazy. You know, no. I'm going to saddle hunt, because, and here's why. You know, and I told him the reasons why. You know, from from hiding your deer from from the deer and being able to position yourself, and um, and and I one stick. I can climb any tree, so I would say look into and and we, we talked about um, Greg Stags, mm-hmm. uh, Stags in the wild. He has great YouTube videos on saddle hunting. So saddle hunting change the way i hunt i can hunt places where i could not hunt i can hunt trees that i used to not be able to hunt and now i can do that i can i can maneuver myself when i, I see a deer and i can position myself with the deer will not bust me so it's made me a better hunter so i would do that and just make sure you shoot you know so many people um and when it gets to crunch time um they're just not ready for it they don't shoot enough you got to shoot enough. And then you also, if you go to Grant Woods, um, Growing Deer TV, watch where he has shot some does or even bucks and watch how far they drop. I mean, it's incredible. He's got an excellent video on that. Yeah. Excellent video, and, like and, explaining that too. And and he even, he even goes one step further. A deer that has its head down. Mm-hmm will drop faster once he hears the bow go off it's it's him bringing his head up is it enables him to drop they just drop to load their legs to get out of there they have no clue they're not ducking anything they're just loading their legs but if their head is down then when they bring their head up it it's enables them to to drop their legs quicker and load to spring to get out of there as mm-hmm. opposed to having a deer with a head up 
So, yeah, he's got some great videos of, you know, when the bow goes off and he's got a line drawn on their back. And then when the arrow finally gets there and it's, you know, 25, 30 yards, how much they've dropped. So, you know, be prepared for that. But practice hunting. And, uh, and then and then you're able to go out and, and find places that, that you wanted to hunt last year and uh, start start preparing these places, you know, start preparing them. And, you know, it's spray up. Make sure that uh, that you spray down with uh, the permethrin. Oh, uh, yeah, permethrin, yeah. Per, however, however you say it. Yeah, you don't want ticks. Yeah, you don't want ticks. You don't want uh, red bugs. And spray for that but, and, and spend some time and do it now when hunting season gets here. Then, you know, you're all set. So. Absolutely. No, I'm excited. Listen, I mean, you, you've, already, you've already given us some ideas and actually like kind of confirming thoughts and strategies, especially like setting those trees in those thickets and, uh, and cutting those trails. And that's, uh, it's been on my, my, I guess, to-do list for a while now. And especially next year with us kind of, or this coming season with us trying to get into a couple different pieces of private land in addition to hunting our public land yeah. where we can do this at, uh, I'm very excited to implement that. So Hopefully, listeners have enjoyed this episode because I've thoroughly enjoyed. It. I've been over here smiling the whole time. I'm thinking, like, I'm, I'm like, again, spring turkey season's here, but man, yeah. I cannot wait for this fall for whitetails. Yeah, well, you know, I, I hunt a lot of areas that, you know, my longest shot's going to be 25 yards at the absolute most. I mean, and so if if my shot's going to be 25 or less, a lot of times I will use a, an expandable. If it's going to be 25 and more, I use a fixed head. Yeah, when, mm-hmm. when I'm up. But but anyway, yeah, get prepared. Spend times in the woods. And, and it's it's going to – sometimes you, you're, you're just going to have to bust your butt and and do a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in, uh, in clearing out these places. But once you get in there and, and, and do it, especially in a thick area, then you're the only one that's hunting there mm. because nobody knows that you've got a trail in there. Nobody has a clue. Oh, man, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so excited. Ain't, listen, ain't nobody in this club ready for this, dude. I'm telling you. Yeah. Like, where are you? Where are you? Like, listen, listen, I'll be pinning out somewhere. In it. Listen, I can't wait. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's going to be a good time. Well, awesome. Richard. Well, hey, I, yeah. I got one one public service announcement. Hey, yeah. listen, I'm a cancer survivor. I had prostate cancer when I was 53 years old and had no clue. I was I was hunting with my urologist. And uh, his name's Scott Tully, Dr. Scott Tully of uh, Alabama Urology Centers. And I was in visiting with him talking about deer hunting. And so we were talking about the American male and and, uh, how unhealthy the American male is. And he thinks that that contributes to, you know, some of the cancers that, that we get. And I said, I said, yeah, my dad had prostate cancer. And as soon as I said that, his eyes got big. He said, when's the last time that you've had your prostate checked? And I said, probably three years i guess he said well man i'm not letting you leave until we get some blood work and i'm gonna check your prostate while you're here (laughs) (laughs) so you know we both laughed so anyway so you know i I went and gave blood and you know they just took a couple of vials and uh and and they they run a test on it psa which is the the number one thing they're looking at and then you know came into the room he said okay drop your drawers and did, <laughs> he, he did the prostate check and and it was fine mm-hmm. yeah. you know it was fine i didn't have a swollen prostate and uh he said everything's fine i'm sure every everything will will come out it came back i had a high psa so to make a long story short 
uh, ended up having, uh, you know, I had, I had cancer. They did two biopsies. The first one was negative. And so he didn't give up. He said, your PSA is still high. Let's do another biopsy, uh, which feels like sticking a BB gun up your rectum, a daisy BB gun, cocking it and pulling the trigger. It's no fun. <laughs> but but if, if that's what's going to save your life, you're really good. You got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. For, sure. Do. for but, sure. But anyway, I, I had 1% involvement. That was it. 1%. So I ended up having a prostatectomy. So they took it out. And I got the best outcome that you can get in, in, in all areas, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. um, so I'm blown away at talking with males, even in their in their early, early 50s, how a lot of them have prostate issues or in, in have issues urinating. So just take your health serious. Go get your PSA check. Go to a urologist. Go ahead and, and, and start a relationship with a urologist in your late 40s and get your prostate check because show me up, as Dr. Tully says, show me an 80-year-old man. I will show you an 80-year-old man with prostate cancer. So we're all going to get prostate cancer at some point, but it's probably not going to kill us. But if you get it like I did, and when I'm 53 years old, I only had 1% involvement. He said, you're 53. He said, when you're about 60, maybe 61, you would start feeling it. And he said, and then it would get you. He wow. said, you got it young. He said, but you got the best of everything because, you know, you dealt with it. Mm-hmm. We found out. And so, so yeah. anyhow, Absolutely. so, I, I, you know, I, I talked to so many guys and they just, they haven't gone to a urologist, so I just want to urge everybody to, to go. Make an appointment. Get that PSA checked, and let's make sure that, uh, you know, you don't have high PSA or have, have prostate cancer. Yeah, man. You can't, uh, you can't get out there and chase all these big old bucks. No. If you're, if you're not in the best health. No. I'm That's in great sure. health. Thank, thank goodness. I'm in, I'm in great health. I love to climb, and I can walk miles, and I'm good. So yeah, hopefully it stays that way. Ain't a mature buck safe. Better watch out. No, Richard, <laughs> Richard's on you. So awesome. Well, Richard, listen, I greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast, driving over here and doing this with us. Uh, I, again, I'm excited. we got to get you back on for another episode. I'm already kind of brainstorming with that, how, how we would do that episode. But uh, greatly appreciate you coming on. I'm sure the listeners will enjoy it. And well, I'll say with the listeners, if you do enjoy this episode, write in. You know, Shoot us a message on social media or leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, just kind of your thoughts on the episode and kind of what you would want to maybe hear from uh, Richard on some other topics. Because, again, I've got some other ones in my head. But I'd be curious to see what the listeners have this say but uh again richard absolutely thank you for joining us um it's it's fun to talk to guys like yourself who are willing to share information on how you become more successful and help people like ourselves and guys like ourselves to try to learn from maybe some of the failures and some things that you've taken away that's taken you decades to figure out to kind of help hopefully shorten our learning curve to become successful as well so i greatly appreciate you for joining us well i appreciate you you both having me i've enjoyed it and uh well yeah let's do it again Absolutely. I look forward to maybe hunting with you guys on some public land in Alabama. I'm all about about it. Let's do it. Well, listen, guys, (laughs) we appreciate y'all listening to this this, uh, episode, and we'll catch you back here on this coming Monday's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman uh, podcast. We're talking a little bit more turkey hunting. So thanks again for joining us, guys, and we'll catch you back on the next episode of Southern Outdoorsman.
You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.